Good afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to the Midweek Devotional for Wednesday, April the 28th. I hope you are well. A few announcements before we begin. This Sunday, Chuck and Wyama will be here. They are our retiring missionaries who were in England for many years. And before Chuck and Wyama were on the field, Chuck was actually an interim pastor uh, at, here at First Pres a long time ago. So they'll be here Sunday. We'll have a joint Sunday school meeting. And then during the service, Chuck will be preaching as well as playing his violin uh, very capably. So I do hope you'll join us for that. We are looking to get the nursery up and running very soon. We'll have an email out this week if it's going to be up and running this Sunday. We're trying hard to, to get that running. We still need helpers, and so if you're willing to help, let us know. We do have some training that's required to help with our children or our students, and that's called Ministry Safe, which you can do at home, uh, or we can get a group together to do it at the church and, and watch the videos here. Just let us know if you need help with that. Um, May 6th, not this Thursday, but next is the National Day of Prayer. We'll have the church open for prayer during the day, and then we will also have uh, prayer on the county courthouse steps at noon. We'll have more information about that coming up. Uh, finally, our faith promise numbers are very healthy. Praise be to God. Um, we were in a bad spot early on in the process, and even probably later on in the process than we wanted to be. But the Lord has graciously provided through his people, and we have actually surpassed last year's commitments. Last year's commitments, we were right at $33,000. This year, we're at $35,240. So praise be to God. Thank you for your generosity. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for the spilt blood of our Savior. We thank you that it is through his blood that we are saved. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I, I came into town a little late this, late today. I was out of town last night. We had a pres presbytery meeting yesterday in Montgomery, and then after most presbytery meetings, we have a retreat for pastors uh, spend the night uh, somewhere out in the woods or a lake house, and last night we stayed at a farmhouse of an elder uh, from Montgomery, and I knew this elder growing up. Uh, in fact, I've been on a couple missions trips with this elder, a very godly man, and, and he has a great farm, a wonderful farmhouse. He was very generous to open it up to, to the pastors and ruling elders who came and had fellowship, but I know this farm well. This farm actually brought up two distinct memories. The first is a rather embarrassing one because I worked as a farmhand on this farm for a summer. I know I've shared this story with some of you. And uh, my time there as a farmhand ended fairly abruptly when I drove his tractor into a tree. And it had a, a loader on the front, messed up the hydraulics real bad. I was going pretty fast. You know, when you're going pretty fast and you run into a big old tree, you stop pretty quickly. There wasn't any cell phone reception out there at the time, and so I had to drive the tractor back to the barn, get in my car, and drive halfway back to Montgomery in order to be able to call him and let him know that I had greatly damaged his tractor. Uh, well, I just, man, I still think back on that and just, mm. Uh, wow, we have to go through some, we have to do some stupid stuff along the way, right? We have to fail a lot. And I've got million failures ahead of me. I've driven tractors since then, and so far my record is perfect after that significant situation. The other memory, though, was I went to Africa with this gentleman. He's a surgeon, 
And I assisted when I was 17 in surgery uh, in, in Africa. The 17-year-old helping in surgery. I didn't do anything important, but I held back skin and cauterized things. And um, uh, I don't remember what whole else what I did. But most of those surgeries, I was fine. But I do remember one surgery that I got a little lightheaded. There was just a lot of blood, a lot of blood going on. Maybe I should hold on to the pulpit while I talk about this. And, um, a lot of blood, and I got a lightheaded and had to sit down, and thankfully I, I didn't pass out. Why do I bring that up? Well, blood is an important thing to being a Christian. Now, you need blood in your body to, to, to work and operate, right, to be alive. That's an important thing. What do I mean by that? Well, blood is important to our salvation, See, at the center of our salvation is the cross of Jesus. At the center of our salvation is the cross of Jesus. And the cross was a bloody thing indeed. Contrary to every human-made religion, which is every other religion. So in, con- in contrary to every other religion, uh, which says that we must suffer for our salvation, Christianity, the one true religion, says that Christ suffered for us. He suffered for us, and no amount of our suffering can save us. No, no amount of our suffering can save us. No amount of our obedience can save us. No amount of our effort can save us. Instead, our salvation is located, is centered in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christianity is a bloody religion. If we're squeamish with the idea of blood, we should get used to the idea of blood because it is what... Um, is, it is what brings us salvation. This last Sunday, we got to baptize a couple folks. What a, what a glorious Sunday. Man, praise be to God. I love baptizing folks. And we got to baptize an infant uh, as well as uh, someone who was professing their faith. So Harmony Cooper was professing her faith, and we got to baptize her as a believer. And then we got to baptize George Henry Wilson Lawrence, or Hank, uh, the, the little little infant boy. So we got to baptize both, and we talked about how the, the primary symbolism, the primary thing that is signified and sealed in baptism is the washing away of sin. Water does not wash away our sin. The water of baptism does not wash away our sin. It does not save us. Instead, it points us to the washing away of our sin by the blood of Jesus. And I want to walk through some passages in Hebrews to talk about this. Well, first we look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22. We read there, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let me read that last bit a bit again. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This means that every sin that we have committed, thought, word, and deed, even as one theologian calls them, are damnable good works, right? There there are no actions that we do that are wholly pure and untainted by sin. Everything that we have done, if it is going to be forgiven, blood is required. There is a blood debt that must be paid. This is seen especially in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system, right? Old Testament believers knew very well that there was a blood guilt, a blood payment that had to be paid with their sin as they went towards the tabernacle or later to the temple. You could see the smoke rising up from the courts and you would see blood coming out from underneath the tent, or excuse me, not the tent, the the, the curtains that was the outer Um, outer court of the tabernacle, and then later there were channels of blood coming out of the temple. 
uh, to take away this, this great torrent of blood that was required for the forgiveness of sins. Our sins require blood. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I will do a cost-benefit analysis. That's, I learned that in my business minor. I don't remember a lot of things from my business minor, but I do remember that. You know, it's the pros and cons. It's the uh, counting the cost. And a lot of times I won't do things in life uh, because I, I, it's just going to take too much work or it's not going to be worth it. But, but a lot of times we don't do that with our sin, do we? We have a very casual view of the cost of our sin. We were removed in many ways. It's kind of like what we've done to death. We've removed ourselves from death as a culture, and so we don't know what to do with it. I know that so often I don't, and I imagine you do too, we don't um, see the significance of sin for what it really is. We think of, of, of slight sins. We think of, eh, you know, that was bad, but not, not really bad. Not, not like what my neighbor did. Or, that's not one of those serious things. I can get away with this. We've all told ourselves that lie. See, sin requires the shedding of blood. Okay, so then we, we, we flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. What do we read there? Uh, that's not the right verse. Hebrews 10, verse 4, excuse me. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Wow. So blood is required, but why is it that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin? Well, one thing is not like the other. It's kind of like those things that you see when you're doing kids' games. We have these often in the children's bulletins in church where they'll have two pictures and you have to figure out what doesn't fit or one thing doesn't look like the other. Well, as you look at a, if you put three things next to each other, if you put a, a person a bull, and a goat. And if you look at those things and say, which one of these things is not like the other? Which is obvious? Well, it's obvious. The person is not like the other. The other two, though different species of animals, they are animals. And people are not animals in the sense that we are made in the image of God. We are the unique and divine image bearers of God. We have a special relationship to God. We alone have souls and are culpable morally for our sins. We are called to be righteous, and when we're not, there are uh, there are ramifications. There's hell because that's what we deserve for our sins. And so the blood that is needed to forgive us, to pay for our sins, it can't come from bulls and goats because we're not bulls and goats. If we were bulls and goats, then maybe it would work. But we're not. Nay, we're not. <laughs> uh, so what had to happen? Well, Christ came. Christ came. So we pick up in Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. And there we read, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. 
When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. Here it is, verse 10. And by that we will have been, excuse me, and, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Wow. Wow. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ offered once for all. Wow. Blood was required, bulls and goats wouldn't do. So what had to happen? Christ came into this world. Christ came into this world. A human had to die. A human had to die. But what's the problem with that? Did it have to be Jesus? Could it have been someone else? Now, there have been a lot of very noble people, honorable people who have laid down their lives for others. I, I, I'm, I love naval warfare. And they're just their story after story after story of people putting themselves in harm way, harm's way to protect others, right? And even sacrificing themselves in order to save others. But, but what is it that sets apart Christ's sacrifice and the sacrifice of other humans? Well, well we can say a lot, but the most important thing is that he's 100% God and 100% man. See, the sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be without any imperfection. In the Old Testament, you could only bring animals to sacrifice that were not blemished. You could not bring bad ones. You could not bring the leftovers. You had to bring the perfect. Those, and if you knew it had a blemish, you couldn't bring it. God would not be glorified by it. He wouldn't honor it. He wouldn't accept the sacrifice. Well, what's the problem with all humanity is that we are all sinners, and one sinner cannot pay for the sins of another Required was one who had never sinned. Required was one who had not just never done something wrong, but had perfectly upheld the law of God. And this is our Savior Jesus, John 1, verse 29. This is John the Baptist, and he looks up. He's baptizing folks. And what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. So there's that connection to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Lambs would have been sacrificed for our sins in the Old Testament. Here is the true Lamb of God, right, who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. His sacrifice was effective and it was efficient. It actually accomplished the thing for which it was designed because he is perfect. He walked in our stead. He died in our stead. He was raised in our stead so that when we accept what he has done for us, it is applied to us through the Holy Spirit. We are wooed to him, to repentance and faith in conversion. These things are applied to us at our conversion, and Christ takes our record of our sin, which he has nailed to the cross, and imputes to us, accounts to our benefit, accounts to our record, the record of his perfect righteousness, and he could do this only because he has paid for the sin. It's not enough that you take the sin from another. It's not just that Jesus took the sin. It is that it's, he did something with it. He canceled the power and the guilt of it by paying for it, by the shedding of his perfect blood. See, even if I died for you, I, I have no benefit to you beyond my death. 
As soon as I'm dead, I can't do anything for you. Christ, however, because he is God, what he has done can be transferred to our account. That's not something that any other person can do. Only God himself can do that. As the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son in payment for what you and I have done. Now, here's the thing. After all that we've just read, and y'all, the cross was heinous, it was awful, it was terrible. Terrible. The great suffering that Jesus went through is unfathomable. In Sunday school class this last Sunday, in the youngish marriage class, along with the youth, we're meeting with them right now, we talked about all the ways that Christ suffered for us. And he suffered a lot. But, But the worst thing was that the Father poured his wrath out on him for us. God, Father, poured out the wrath that you and I deserve. And a a text I just keep coming back to, I know I've shared it with you recently, is Matthew chapter, well, let me find it. It's on the left-hand page on the right side. Um, Matthew chapter 26, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 38. Then he's, uh, nope, nope, nope. Verse 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He prays this in Gethsemane, the night in which he's betrayed, the day before his death. He's like 18 hours-ish away from, die, from being dead on the cross. Um, and he asks for this to be passed from him. And yet Christ is the one from all of eternity past, agreed in the covenant of redemption is what we call it, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, we're gonna, the son's going to go and pay for the sins of his people. This was the plan from the very beginning. He's not wavering from the plan. And he says, not, not as I will, but as you will. So he submits to the plan. But, but then we read over in Hebrews chapter 12, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Wow. What Christ did on the cross, he did willingly. He did joyfully, we might say, within that sorrow of having to be forsaken by the Father for us for our sin, for our salvation. He did this for you because he loves you. I was reminded at Presbytery yesterday uh, by one of my dear friends, Caleb Galloway. Uh, he is the associate, no, assistant pastor at, at First Pres Dothan. He was reading from Psalm 103 at Presbytery yesterday, and there's this great text in Psalm 103. And you've heard it from my lips many times. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And how is it that that can be so? Because the father has dealt with his son according to our sins, and he repaid his son according to our iniquities. Because the son has shed his blood for you and me, that by his blood we who are far away might be brought near. Have you been brought near? Have you you received Christ? I certainly exhort you and call upon you. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. There is no hope in this life or the next without Christ. I call upon you. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Indeed, today is the day of salvation. Call upon him. Ask him to save you. 
ask him to save you. But for those who are believers like myself, uh, this, it is good to be reminded of the cost of our salvation, that it was the very blood of Christ, the God-man Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who made all things and who will return one day to remake all things after he has judged the nations. It is good to be reminded of the cost. Because see, here's the thing. The gospel is the good news of the free gift of God of salvation. The free gift of God of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what is free to us is costly, is dearly costly. It was dearly costly to another. That our Savior, the true servant, would come not to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Many people think it is a common misconception that if we, if salvation really is not done by us but done by Christ, then it just cheapens the whole thing. Uh, and we can live however we want, doesn't really matter how we live, all those sorts of things. You know, the exact opposite is true. The cost of our salvation is greater than we will ever know, even if all we do in eternity is just think on this. It was exceedingly costly. And those things, those gifts that are given to us, which are costly, those things we, we should appreciate more, right? If someone gives me a $5 pen, I'm going to appreciate it a little bit, but $5 pen is not a big deal. But if you give me a $1,000 fountain pen, I, I'm really going to appreciate that. Well, how much more is the costly gift of our salvation? Think about that the next time you're fighting with temptation. What did it cost Christ to forgive the sin that you're being tempted to do? Mm. Don't you look forward to heaven when Christ comes back, makes all things new, we don't struggle with temptation? Oh, Lord, may that day come. Until then, until then, remember the words of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Go in peace.